Hello. Welcome to the Bomb Squad Productions Poetry Slam. I would like to read a piece I uh, recently wrote called Ninja Rap. <clears throat> go Ninja! Go Ninja! Go! Go Ninja! Go Ninja! Go! Sorry about that. Hi! Welcome to Bomb Squad Movie Night, episode 132, where today we are discussing the newest turtle sensation to hit the nation, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. I'm your host, the Master of Ceremony, Tanner Richard Kraft, and with me I have... Hi, I'm Austin Zwiebelman. Hi, I'm introducing Paul Rudd as Mondo Gecko. Hi, I'm Yutanto Totorozu, Chojin de Tsetsuhen. But before we get into our thoughts on the newest movie, Mutant Mayhem, we're going to be diving right into our history with the Ninja Turtles, starting with the farthest person away from being a teenager, Tim. For me, growing up, Ninja Turtles was something that was more peripheral than something I actively watched as a kid. My group of color-coded teenage heroes of choice was the Power Rangers, which, fun fact, I recently learned that when Saban was bringing Z-Ranger to a America, they chose the name Mighty Morphin Power Rangers because they wanted to have the same number of syllables as Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Kids love it. Really? Focus group numbers through the roof. Really? Oh, yeah. That's really embarrassing. I, I did watch a little bit of, like, the cartoon Ninja Turtles as a kid, and I enjoyed the characters. I mostly know them from the original 1990 live-action movie. We had that on VHS as a kid, and I watched the shit out of that. It was, like, the edgiest kids' movie I'd ever seen at that point. <laughs> But my most recent uh, story involving Ninja Turtles is two years ago, I went to a convention in Florida called Holiday Matsuri, and I attended an 18-plus cosplay contest, which was won by a woman dressed as Sexy Bebop. They tossed this woman the biggest bad dragon product that I've ever seen in my life, and she held it up like a goddamn Chaos Emerald. Just, just wanted to tell that story. Yeah, we're talking about a fucking children's movie. Tanner, we did this on Sonic. You don't get to say shit. I feel like with Sonic, it's more expected. Want to be friends? Give me a towel. Is this a towel? What am I supposed to cover with that? But anyway, I was looking forward to this movie because it looked fun. The animation was really pretty. But what did I think of it? We'll find out later. Back to you, Tanner. Ron, I don't think that's appropriate. I'll tell you. Great story, Tim. Austin, the second farthest away from being a teenager. How about you? I used to be a huge fan of the Turtles until I myself became a teenager and got interested in actual edgy things. But as a kid, loved the hell out of the Ninja Turtles. I really don't have anything to offer you guys except for a frozen pizza. Let's go for it! Some of this probably came from my older brother, who actually owned some of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Adventures comics, along with an incredible chest full of the Playmates action figures. Those were admittedly cool as hell, but I wasn't much of a comic book action figure kid. I was really taken by the Saturday morning cartoon show, and the first two live action movies. Ah! Shit, I kid you not, 
I watched Secret of the Ooze so many times as a kid that sometimes when I see imagery from that movie, my entire brain lights up. It's like a memory, but on steroids. It's a fundamental part of my fucking programming as a person getting activated when I see fictional New Yorkers eating pizza to that John Duprez song. Every time I see the title shot of those turtles jumping towards the camera with the title popping up, I gain another day on my life. Even those trailers that were on the VHS make dopamine shoot out of my hypothalamus like a sprinkler. The Burger King Kids Club, Suburban Commando, whatever the fuck Step Kids was. Secret of the Ooze is my fucking MK Ultra agent activation code that makes me immediately call Pizza Hut and order a large meat lovers with extra cheese. But then I grew up and the turtles got to be kind of like Sonic. I largely stopped engaging with that IP after the 2007 movie, which I vaguely remember enjoying a lot. Uh, you watch one Stanley Kubrick movie and suddenly you're just too old for Cowabunga, dudes. But lucky for Sonic and the Ninja Turtles, Paramount decided they were going to revive the brand with sick-ass movies that undeniably kind of rule. So here I am, crawling back into the sewer, ready for a reunion with my old friends. So, uh, Secret of the Ooze is your MK Ultra code that makes you order Pizza Hut, you said, right? Yeah. All right, uh, Austin, your address is... Secret of the Ooze, Secret of the Ooze, Secret of the Ooze, please order my me a pizza, Austin. Hello, is All right, while Austin's ordering pizza, Ethan, history with the turtles. Yeah, so, uh, mine is maybe closer to, uh, Tim's. Uh, my familiarity with the, uh, Turtles franchise is fairly scattered. I was first introduced to the larger franchise via the 2003 animated series, which I, I remember fairly fondly. Uh, way to be stealthy, Raph! <laughs> yeah, I don't think they heard you over in Joyzy! But I ended up watching, you know, a bit of the original show, some of the comics, the original live-action movie trilogy, and the 2007 film, which is also quite good. Playing some of the games, you know, the classic beat-em-ups. And uh, watching the admittedly not very good Super Legend OVA, which I referenced at the top of this, etc. <laughs> Pretty unique to me kind of Turtles experience was probably flipping through Palladium's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Other Strangeness role-playing game book for ideas while I was running Palladium's Robotech role-playing game in high school. <laughs> How do you always find a way to fucking bring that in? It's an 80s nostalgia property. It's not that hard for this one, actually. That's fair. Jesus Christ. Specifically, the role-playing game book is a weird connection, I'll admit. We would talk about Sallow and you'd find a way to connect it to Robotech. Is that Italian? Oh, yeah. I'll be a Minucci. Uh, <laughs> <wait>. <laughs> You can't keep getting away with it! Overall, I, I never really succumbed to turtle fever in the same way I enjoyed other 80s nostalgia properties like the Transformers or even stuff like Voltron or, you know, Robotech, obviously. So going into Mutant Mayhem, my expectations were kind of non-existent with the vague inkling that it would be pretty good as most of the other entries in a franchise called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles inexplicably tend to be. But yeah, no, that's, that's sort of where I was going into this one. That guy's the goat I would of all time. To have a champagne brunch with Tom Brady. Guy Fieri seems like a fun hang, and I've always wanted to go to Flavortown. <laughs> all right, my time to shine. Hello. Okay, I've always loved the Ninja Turtles. Not exactly through any one property. I actually more knew the Ninja Turtles through the general cultural osmosis that I knew a lot of things growing up. Kids liked the Ninja Turtles, and what wasn't to like about them? They were teenagers. They did ninja stuff. They were giant, cool turtles. I mean, that's fun. Ninja. 
and they like pizza, and I like pizza. So, my earliest exposure to Ninja Turtles as a kid was on 2005 YouTube, watching a meme compilation of different creatures falling into a trash compactor while the Casey Jones clip where he goes, oops, plays. And I thought it was the funniest thing ever at the age of seven. Beyond that, from Blockbuster, I used to rent the 2003 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game from Konami a lot, and I loved that game as a kid. Someone recently, I think, told me it was bad. That might have been you, Ethan. I don't remember. It's not very good. I remember loving it. It's not very good. But more than that, I'm also a huge fan of the 2007 animated movie. That was my favorite Turtles movie as a kid because it was the only one I owned on DVD. Looks like it's just you and me, Shaggy. Take it easy. As I've grown up, I realize that the first live-action movie is probably my favorite Ninja Turtles movie, but the 2007 animated movie is a close second. I really like that art style, and I wish that movie did better because that studio might have been able to make a Zelda movie if it wasn't for the fact that Ninja Turtles bombed and kind of sunk the studio. There's, there's Tess, well, it was that, and Ethan, correct me if I'm wrong, didn't that studio do the Astro Boy movie from 2010? Uh, I believe they did, and that would also bombed. That might have sunk them more than Ninja Turtles did. That, that absolutely is what sunk them. That movie's so bad. What? I, I, like, suddenly remembered, wait, no, they had a bigger bomb than the Turtles movie. Until somebody builds a bigger bomb. But they had an animation <laughs> test of Zelda that was really nice. You can find it on YouTube. Austin can probably throw it up on here. But what do we think of the newest Turtles movie? Let's get right into it, starting with you, Austin. We are collectively on one big, beautiful honeymoon with this type of animation. You've seen it in the Spider-Verse movies, Arcane, and this film's spiritual, like, style cousin, The Mitchells versus The Machines. Like in the past, when Roger Rabbit mixed 2D with live action, we're in an age where people are mixing 3D and 2D art to evoke the graphic styles from different mediums and visual movements from across art history. It's like those images that have come out of style transfer convolutional neural nets, but they're awesome because they're made by teams of trained artists instead of like a glorified math equation. Watch any interview with the head production people and you can see there was a straightforward goal here. Mimic the doodles that teenagers do in their notebooks at school. Mm. It truly was a group effort to achieve this effect though. Utilizing classic 3D animation in Maya with some playful use of the paint effects tools to create lines in the 3D scene. A whole separate team doing lines for silhouettes, developing an in-house tool to manage those outline weights relative to camera distance, 2D animation done in Toon Boom Harmony, cinematic lighting done using the Arnold Render Engine with special controls over the way that every individual object reacts to light in the scene, plus Arnold's beefy-ass Toon Shader, a library of halos with squiggle lines that I think the comp guys made, crowd sim done in Golem with procedurally generated New Yorker's Maiden Houdini, and a bunch of other special sauce technical wizardry that I'm sure we'll be hearing about at SIGGRAPH next year. You'll read interviews about what nots to it was taking talented digital artists 
and making them intentionally create imperfect work. And one of the funnier methods I heard about that was used to achieve this was, apparently when lines were being drawn in Maya using paint effects, animators were suggested to use their non-dominant hand, or like use a mouse instead of a tablet stylus. So the line would come out looking all fucked up and ugly. Another thing I want to mention is that ever since that Vulture article came out about how the animators on Across the Spider-Verse were fucked over by stressful working conditions, I think a lot of people got the impression that these, like, 2D slash 3D style hybrid films are made by ensuring the highest number of animators possible get divorced from their spouses and then grinding their bodies into a fine fucking powder. Uh, but from what I can tell, listening to the artists and technicians who worked on this, Mutant Mayhem was a show run by very responsible managers, and it's highly yeah. likely that the film's director, Jeff Rowe, is actually a super fucking nice, talented guy. Look at this dude. He credits artists by name on Twitter. Apparently crunch happened because crunch happens every time, but some of the artists didn't even immediately detect that they were in crunch because the working environment was so solid. Part of me wants to think a huge factor for this was the fact that Mutant Mayhem is only 100 minutes long. If you thought the audiences were relieved that this movie is short by 2023 standards, I think the animators greatly benefited from that aspect too. I gotta get the scooter back to this beautiful and charming human woman! Uh, Alpha Formation, go! Whoa! I think all of his hormones just kicked in at once. But yeah, I know I didn't talk about my thoughts on the movie itself at all here, but rest assured, I love this movie plenty. There is so much to appreciate in here, and I'm sure everybody else present on this episode will touch the aspects of this picture that are so darn entertaining. But I found this to be a unique, exciting entry into a recent animation trend and wanted to instead break down some production details, because I think those are also spectacular and deserve a brief spotlight in case we have any aspiring animators tuning into the show. So yeah, the cartoon honeymoon is still going strong, and I'm very excited to see these fuckers try to spider-versify the Smurfs in a few years. Great stuff, all good production details. Maybe they'll see the humanity and our tragic backstory. Murder the yeah. Shrek! Yeah. Speaking of aspiring animators, Ethan, what are your thoughts on the Ninja Turtles movie? Once again, a franchise named Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles inexplicably has a really good entry. As, as mentioned previously, it's directed by Jeff Rowe, a sophomore feature directorial effort after Mitchell's vs. the Machines, which was really good. This is similarly really good, maybe not quite up to that original feature, but just an absolutely rock-solid animated action piece. I think it makes a lot of good choices, shifting the focus away from the typical subject for a Ninja Turtles effort, which is, you know, Shredder and the Foot Clan, and emphasizing the various mutant characters that would crop up in the uh, television series, and using that to sort of reframe the larger narrative into one about family instead of doing the usual thing where, you know, human characters could be mutated into animals, uh, stuff like making Splinter uh, just a rat, a rat man, <laughs> uh, which is delightful and I love. Oh my God, it's a rat man! Everybody look, it's a rat man! It's, a rat man. it's just a bad Mickey Mouse costume. It's real, I touched it! I touched it! Oh shit, a rat! 
that shift, I think, very much helps the larger like way it approaches the idea of mutations and othering, which is, is messy, but cool and a unique take on things. Uh, I'm sure this is going to come up uh, from everyone else, but making the Ninja Turtles act more like teenagers is a huge boon to this production. I think that's pulling a little bit from Rise. I'm not intimately familiar with that series, but I think it makes sense to kind of pull from that because that's the most recent one that the kids know, and it's a movie for the kids. I like that. that they're keeping that in mind, despite this clearly, you know, homaging a lot of the old television series and the Playmates toys and that sort of nostalgia while still uh, keeping it relevant, which is, is a tough line to toe with nostalgia properties, I think. How do you get this on and off? That's your skin! That's your okay. skin! Ha! Um, what's my what, skin? What, what's go, what are you? What could you be? Oh, uh, also John Oates Splinter. John Oates Splinter is super good. I like that they made Splinter look like uh, singer John Oates <laughs> of Hall & Oates when he's a young father. I talked about the aesthetics briefly. Uh, for the first time since Rugrats, we have a Nickelodeon production that manages to present designs in a world that aren't like traditionally beautiful, uh, but still really appealing. Somewhere between Klasky Chuspo and uh, Peter Chung, it manages this really distinct look with those hand-painted textures and intentionally rough sculpting on the models. Again, sort of capturing like rough pencil sketches or like, you know, that sort of eclectic 90s style where, you know, they're very much pushing against the traditional heavily model-based kind of stuff and loosening everything. The action set pieces are all really exceptional, pulling from, you know, a lot of classic martial arts action films, particularly um, mentioned were Rumble in the Bronx and uh, Police Story. And it all culminates in this uh, truly horrific kind of fly homunculus final boss, which is the kind of thing that I think will, will give children nightmares for years to come. <laughs> One little horse. I don't need that horse. Uh, it has a few issues. Uh, I think the pace gets just a tiny bit clipped in the final act. I, I think maybe making the character that's kind of meant to represent minorities be the, the ultimate villain and not addressing that with a whole whole lot of nuance is sort of a product of the, the clipped pace and trying to shift the um, cosmic organization as like the, the main bads of a larger franchise, which is a little rough, but not stuff that completely takes me out of it. It's more like just, you know, minor stuff stumbling box on an overall really exceptional animated feature. I beat that fool. Damn. I touched that chin. Molly whopped to an inch of his life. Lastly, final thought. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem is a film that teaches us the real secret of the ooze. Family. Thank you. Thank you, Ethan. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Jim. Your turn. Yeah, this was a good time. Uh, we went to see it yesterday, and Cody has next to no familiarity with the Ninja Turtles. Like, I, I showed her the 90s movie, and I think she said she had seen Secret of Ooze before. So very, very minimal familiarity, but she still got a lot out of it. And I could very much tell that this was a movie that was made by people who grew up with the Ninja Turtles and had a deep love and affection for it and wanted to put that love on the screen while while also, you know, making something that's going to be appealing to a general audience. Somebody who had never, ever seen or heard of Ninja Turtles before could watch this and be like, okay, I dig this. Ride with the tortoises. I drive. You're, you're good to drive? <laughs> no. Like we've all been saying, the animation is gorgeous. It sort of is 
piggybacking on the trend that Spider-Verse started, uh, but it has its own sort of distinct, like, grunginess to it that I appreciate. And I know you're all just waiting for me to bring this up, so I'm just gonna go ahead and say it. I, I do think it's very endearing that they made Donatello a weeb for this movie. So it was very fun. His little Attack on Titan references, uh, his JoJo sweater. Attack on Titan? Who's ever locker this is? Let's anime! I don't even know this person, and they give me more than anyone ever has! I do love how the Attack on Titan bit came into play at the end. They're just like, go for the nape of the neck! So it was very funny to me. But yeah, there's, there's a lot to like about it. I'll probably say a little bit more in general discussion. Uh, back to you, Tanner. Good stuff. All right, here we go. Turtle power. Yes, yes, sir. Yes, yes, sir. The first thing I want to bring up here is that for a franchise known as Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I feel like a lot of focus has been given to those last three words, Mutant Ninja Turtles, over the years, with very little focus being given to that first word, Teenager. The last animated movie in this franchise explicitly has them as not teenagers anymore. For example, the 2007 movie, I'm pretty sure they're all supposed to be in their 20s. Whatever that means for a turtle. They live longer. Did you turn the computer on? Have you plugged it in? Yeah, that would help. So it's nice to see a franchise that actually focuses on them being teenagers with really relatable human kid problems. Like, is the girl going to like me? Am I going to be accepted at school? Are people going to like me? And I think the cast of the movie really helps makes this shine through. The chemistry they have with one another is just spectacular. They bounce off of each other perfectly and the script enhances it a lot too. I remember specifically there's a scene in the beginning where one of the turtles is like, your Riz is terrible to the other turtle. And I just about had a stroke because I was convinced that the word Riz was invented six months ago. Who's got no Riz now? So the fact that this movie referenced it kind of put my worldview into question. Everyone does a great job. But the one actor I really want to shout out here is Jackie Chan, who plays Splinter, an actor. Jackie Chan, mostly known, I feel like, for his physicality as opposed mm -hmm. to anything else, really impresses me in this voiceover role, which is kind of cool to see considering Jackie, you know, his first language is not English. When he first came in here acting in American movies, I don't know if he even spoke much of it yet. Jackie's never really been known for his ability to wine deliver. It's always been his physicality and how much fighting he can do with a baby in one of his hands. So the fact that he was able to really bring it in a voiceover role and really enhanced a lot of the movie for me and he brings a lot of emotion into the role, especially all the bits where he's like, I just want to be a good dad. Why won't my sons love me? Even though I don't like humans, I want them to like you because you want them to like you. And you know what? Splinter here, he's a dad, so we're gonna hit him with the, um, mm, Dad's Rock, baby! Even when they're a rat. Rats rock, baby. Woo! That too. Action scenes brilliantly done here. There was a specific one -er at some point in the movie. I remember what it was. It's when they're like going on their whole who's Superfly montage and it's like they're breaking into these different hideouts to interrogate their big bosses and it's cutting between the scenes with like the action choreography flowing through. Such a cool scene. Maybe the highlight of the movie, at least action wise for me. That scene has brilliant music. The entire movie, I think music's really brilliant. Mm -hmm. um, I don't really remember much of the score, which is kind of crazy considering Ross and Reznor did this score. Uh, I didn't really think it stood out that much, but the soundtrack, really stellar. I thought it was perfectly used, and I thought it really enhanced the movie for what it was going for. And uh, the last thing I want to touch on is near the end when the turtles are going to beat the bad guy and April's finally getting over her fear in the news station, and the turtles realize that, like, because at first they're like, 
Well, we got to defeat the big bad, even if they won't love us, because, damn it, we got a job to do, which is really nice. But when the turtles are about to die, all of the New Yorkers are like, let's help them. And it's kind of a lot like, you know, Spider-Man 1, you mess with one of us, you mess with all of us, okay? Really well done scene. Maybe the highlight of the movie, other than the awesome one in the middle, but both are really fantastic. What more do we have to say about the Ninja Turtles? Find out after a brief commercial break from our sponsors. Like Lego, the Waffle People. See you in a minute. Bye. Make yeah. it Welcome back from a commercial break for another commercial. Do you like movie? Do you like turtle color? Do you like palette with movie color? Well then, ladies and gentlemen, you can go on ahead to moviepalette.com and get one of those bad boys of your own. The website features a big selection. You might be even able to find a Ninja Turtle movie in there. But even if you're not, don't worry, for a little extra money, you can request a custom one of your favorite Ninja Turtles movie. Even if that is, for some godforsaken reason, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3. Enter the code SQUAD15 to save 15% at checkout. It is a tough time in the entertainment industry right now with both the Writers Guild and the Actors Guilds on strike, and they could really use your help right now if you really want to stick it to those fat cat bags in Hollywood. Fat cat bags? He's a little confused, but he got the spirit. <laughs> Leave it in there, I don't care. So if you want to help out, please donate to the following funds. The Entertainment Community Fund, the Snack List, and Groceries for Writers. We'll have all of those links in the description below. If you can spare a few bucks, it would really help a lot to stick it to those assholes in the executive positions. And now, time for general discussion. There's one thing I really want to bring up here, guys, which is I was talking about, I think we've all kind of agreed that the cast is a real standout. Mm -hmm. Do you know what this movie did uniquely in regards to recording? Recording their voice actors. They went through the extra trouble to record them all in the same room together because Seth Rogen was on The Lion King and John Favreau had him do the same thing for a couple of the scenes with Timon and Pumbaa. So Seth Rogen was like, oh, I want to do this whole, like, we all actually Wait. get together for a recording thing with the Turtles movie. Are you fucking telling me the 2019 Lion King remake has made a positive contribution to society? The only one is this mutant mayhem getting all one these actors together. One too many. Quit. I mean, it's, it's also Japanese style, the way they used to do voiceover recording in general, for what that's worth. But what do you guys think of the fact that they used uh, all of them in the same room together? You think that clearly helped a lot, right? Because the chemistry, like, it's so... you can feel it. Yeah, yeah, I think it has sort of an improvisational aspect to it that's neat. I mean, she seemed cool. Here he goes again. Hey, girl, man. That's your type. Sorry, I'm not that into. Give me that contact. I saw. Yeah, give me that contact. I'm contacting right now. Yeah, I think the um, bacon egg and cheese bit. I my exact response to that in theaters was kind of April's, and that when it started, I'm I like kind of instinctively, I was like, what is this? What's going on here? Bacon egg and cheese. They're just they keep going. With the bed. With the bed. Yeah. I don't think this is gonna help people like you. And then, like, it, it kind of hit me, like, discussing how they act like teenagers. Like, oh yeah, they're doing something really dumb, like a teenager's would. Like, teenagers who are close friends and have experienced basically zero socialization probably would. Which is, I suppose, especially relatable post-COVID. So, like, like that that actually really hit and, like, really sold the teenageriness. Certainly a lot better than all the uh, very kind of pointed references to other Paramount properties. It was surreal during the bacon, egg, and cheese sequence hearing them reference that short video creator, the Aki guy who makes the weird sandwiches. That was my moment like when Tanner heard Riz. I was like, never would I expect that to make its way into a feature film this quickly. Who's paying for their phone plan? Yeah, maybe they're just, uh, they just do it online. They got Saul Goodman getting them burners. 
Tanner, I really want to agree with you. You brought this up during your comment. The best part of this movie was the fight scene set to the song No Diggity by Blackstreet yeah. featuring Dr. Dre and Queen Penn. But get this, apparently one of that song's writers, right, has beef with all the rest of the band members. So nailing the rights for that song is fucking scary and difficult. I, I was also thrilled to hear, I hope you guys also had this moment, the cover of What's Up, Ryan Haynes and Jay Allen. Yes. I never thought that would make its way into a studio film. When they started playing What's Up and they were singing along to it, it was like, okay, they're acknowledging the meme. But then when the actual He-Man cover started playing, it was like, oh, fuck yes. I lost my mind at the theater. I was being silent about it, but I was going, and I think the kid to like five seats to the right of me might have like went over and be like, fuck's that dude's problem? <laughs> the kid's like probably were like 12. He doesn't know what that video is. He might have been... When did that video come out? Like 2007. I just realized the kid a few spots to the right of me that was like, what's this guy's deal? Was probably born well after that video came out. Oh, Jesus. I don't think that would have worked nearly as well if they didn't transition into the He-Man remix. Yeah. I think starting I with the, the original What's Up and like, cause, cause otherwise, I don't know. I think it's a bit too on the nose, but yeah. speaking of the soundtrack, apparently Roe, director, likened the soundtrack to Tony Hawk in that like they were kind of disparate, but all gelled together. I just wanted to bring that in there for Tan Man. I actually had that in my trivia corner just because it said Tony Hawk and I was like, well, gotta put that <laughs> yeah. in there. Dig this. It's actually like George Lucas's goofy definition of poetry that Jackie Chan is in this because guess what company was the only one willing to take a chance on the original Steve Barron live action film from 1990 the first one motherfucking Golden Harvest the Hong Kong production company that produced mm -hmm. and distributed Jackie Chan's movies in the states Jackie Chan was Golden Harvest's biggest asset for a long time and Golden Harvest was the reason the Turtles entered into feature films in the first place Jackie Chan and the Turtles have been tied together for like three decades now. God, now I love that Jackie's in the movie even more now. Stay back. I just care for my boys. Oh, is that so Ratatouille? Don't call me a Ratatouille. I just want to bring up how much I love the other mutants other than the Turtles and Superfly. I love the way they bounce off each other. I love dude, dude, dude. We have to bring up the best running bit of the movie, though. I'm pretty sure we all know what the best running bit was. Maybe? Uh, the getting milked bit. Oh. Yeah, that was a good bit. Especially because it pays off of them actually getting milked. Yeah. Ethan, say the thing. Gonna get milked. Yeah! But Dad, we don't even have nipples. I have nipples, Greg. Could you milk me? So me and Cody have been watching uh, My Adventures with Superman on Toonami, and we just watched the most recent episode this morning, and it's remarkably similar to the end of this movie. Basically, <laughs> Superman is being vilified by the public, and then bad guy turns into a kaiju, and Lois Lane and uh, Jimmy need to, like, get on their, like, live stream to tell everybody, no, no, Superman's good. Oh. It was very weird just being like, didn't I just watch this exact scene last night. Oh my god, they thought they were being <laughs> slick. You just blew this whole thing open. I just remembered the bit where Splinter throws them a surprise party, and one of the ways <laughs> in order to try and give them the human experience is he gets the cardboard cutouts of the three Hollywood Chrises. Such a brilliant bit. <laughs> that, was, that was a good bit. I made another freaky connection. So I saw this one YouTuber who hypothesized that Gus Fring 
I mean, Baxter Stockman wasn't transformed into Superfly because Disney bought 20th Century Fox and thus owns both versions of the movie, The Fly. Apparently, though, the Superfly toy, which went into production a very fucking long time ago, has a sweater and a necktie in its design from back when Stockman turned into Superfly. Like, you go to fucking Toys R Us, rest in peace, you would see the toy is still from back when Stockman, you know, did his whole transformation thing. I fucking love it when, like, toys come out and they have, like, concept art that the movies abandon. It's like when Avengers Infinity War, there was a bunch of toys of Hulk breaking out of the Hulkbuster suit, but the movie cut that bit out entirely. <laughs> Which led to that really funny shot of Chris Evans looking devastated, and in the background, Mark Ruffalo's head is sort of awkwardly floating around the Hulkbuster suit. It's a very <laughs> funny shot. Please zoom in on Mark Ruffalo in that scene, Austin. I'm not gonna lie, I do kind of think I maybe would have preferred a version of this movie with mutant Baxter Stockman. It feels notable, because the whole, like, uh, father parallels that they're trying to do. Yeah! Ratman! Come on, help me out! Look, man, we basically the same. Don't you see this? Jeez, ah! ah! Dad, you really went buck wild there. It feels like a like a big thing, and honestly, I think Ice Cube plays it maybe a I like his performance. I think he maybe plays it a bit too light. I also just really like the little bit of Giancarlo Esposito's Baxter Stockman. We get in this. It's super good. It's, it's really, really, really strong. My friends at TCRI want to use you as a weapon. I couldn't allow that. But that's, yeah, it's, it's an unfortunate thing, but so it goes. Uh, one thing um, I, I didn't notice until I looked at the credits list was that the evil lady, the evil scientist lady who inexplicably disappears during that fight scene in the office building is named Cynthia Utram. Uh, the Utrams are the, the brain boys that Krang is in the uh, comics and animated series, so she's, she's probably a Krang. Not just that, Ethan. It's the fact that her color scheme matches Krang's color scheme and also the name of their building T-C-R-I, that's where the Utrams are found in the original <laughs> comics and most of the media franchises. Damn! Yeah, because I just realized she's got the glasses. The glasses that look just like the Krang robots, like visor eyes and the high-waisted pants. Yeah, that's a Krang. It's, it's pretty obvious now that I see the character's name, actually, but... I think it's pretty clear that's at least what they're going to go for. The first movie, you focus on the Superfly. The second movie, you do uh, Master Shredder. And then the third movie, that's when you do Krang. I actually fucking love that Superfly is the villain and Shredder isn't in this movie. That is such a power move when you reboot a franchise. It's it's like what Nolan did with Batman Begins. There is mm. no greater flex than saying, oh, we're so much better at making these movies than the dudes who came before us that we can make some random villain nobody knows about more entertaining than those other movies who start off with the main bad guy. Like, it's James Gunn swagger. It's the filmmaking equivalent of massively flexing nuts. You know, it's kind of interesting. Both animated Turtles movies explicitly do not feature Shredder as the villain. It might be that, like, it being animated gives them a little more freedom to do the maybe lesser-known characters, where, like, if you're doing live-action, it's like you're appealing to the people who only know this tangentially. You gotta have Shredder, you gotta have Joker. But I, I do think that that's, that's a good play if we, we do that as, like, the Dark Knight trilogy, where, like, the second movie is like, here's the guy you know, here's the guy everybody knows, and then have, like, the other shit happening in the first and third. Yeah. And then the third movie accidentally criticizes a protest that was happening when filming was occurring. There you go. <laughs> Just like The Dark Knight Rises. Uh, trivia? Trivia. Trivia. 
get this, apparently Shredder, when they were first developing this movie, was going to be a part of the movie. But apparently that changed when Jeff Rowe joined the picture because he was like, boring. First movie villain, a fellow mutant. Have some empathy. Good idea. Um, we've all mentioned some of the movie influences on this one, so I'm just going to list some of the ones. Uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, pretty obvious one. The Jackie Chan martial arts films, Police Story and Rumble in the Bronx. Ethan, I think you mentioned those ones. This one's kind of interesting. Again, according to the filmmakers, uh, they were influenced by Chun King Express and uh, Spike Jones. But more importantly, and this one's for Austin, the filmmakers explicitly cited the period film from 1997, Boogie Nights, as an inspiration of this movie. Yes! Yes! I want to look into that one more. I want to figure out what part of this, the soundtrack maybe? I don't know. Get Mark Wahlberg to sing the ninja rap. <laughs> go white boy, go white boy. All right, so. Marky Mark. Ice Cube apparently agreed to play Superfly because his kids like the cartoons. No, he used my stick against me. That was Molly Wapping me. Once again, another case of a actor joining a franchise movie because his kids were like, come on, dad. I used to be King Leah. Splinter's look was apparently specifically influenced by two actors, Danny DeVito and Jeff Bridges, specifically Jeff Bridges in The Big Lebowski. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Fun fact, this is the first theatrically released Ninja Turtles movie to get a 60% or more, aka a fresh rating, on Rotten Tomatoes. The first one released in theaters to do it, and the third one overall. The only other one to get positive reviews on Rotten Tomatoes was 2022's Rise of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and 2019's Batman vs. the Ninja Turtles. That movie's fucking wild, too. It's some weird furry shit. <laughs> that is true. And finally, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, is that a JoJo reference? Was apparently specifically referenced because the director, Jeff Rowe, was asking the actors of the Turtles, hey man, what anime do you guys watch? And apparently the actor, Micah Abbey, who specifically voices on Donatello, went into like a five plus minute rant about <laughs> JoJo. Oh, oh. Yeah. It's yeah. completely in character, too. That's the best part. <laughs> yeah, that actor wasn't acting. They just put a microphone in his room and recorded what things he was saying. That's all the trivia I got. Final thoughts, starting with Austin. Did you guys know we actually saw the Paw Patrol trailer before this movie? Because the animation studio that made this made the Paw Patrol movie. That's, that's why we had to see that. Fuck. Final thoughts. <laughs> Cowabunga, dudes! The Turtles are back and better than ever! Uh, big thanks to everybody involved for bringing something I loved so much as a kid back to the screen. And doing it with so much fucking panache! Good stuff. Ethan! The secret of the ooze <laughs> was family. All along. Family. Can't wait for the next uh, Fast and Furious movie to have the Ninja Turtles in there on their team. Get the turtle van! Raphael is about to fuck up Jason Momoa. Tim, final thoughts. I think in the 90s, Raphael said it best when he said, Damn! I agree. <laughs> this is a fantastic movie. It's a great movie for kids. It's the first Ninja Turtles movie to actually focus on the teenage part of it. And if this wasn't the year where Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse came out, this would easily be my favorite animated movie of the year. I think Raphael, at the end of the 2007 TMNT movie, put it best. God, I love being a turtle. But you know who else loves being a turtle? <laughs> you! The person watching slash listening to this cowabunga-induced episode of Bomb Squad Movie Night. 
If you are listening to this episode on any of the audio platforms or on, thank you oh so very much for listening. We really appreciate it. And if you are watching this on Spotify video, we hope you appreciate this uncensored edition of Bomb Squad <laughs> Movie Night. How about you mosey on down over to our Patreon? Throw a couple bucks our way. Big things coming soon, maybe. You'll see. And if you are watching this on YouTube, thank you oh so very much for watching. Go down to the comment section below and let me know what's your history of the turtles. What do you think of Mutant Mayhem? Are you excited to see this turn into a trilogy? Are you just excited for more turtle content? And finally, is Jackie Chan your father? Comment below and let me know. And while you're down there, hit the like button so we know how much you like us. Hit the subscribe button so we know how much you love us. And hit the bell icon so you can know exactly when we upload new videos. Tune in next week when we uh, talk about a movie in an Austin hotel episode where we'll be talking about next week we're talking about the 1998 Terry Gilliam film Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas pack your bags get in the fast car drive off into the fucking desert we're going nuts with this one if you're a kid watching our channel for the first time ask your parents permission before you watch the Fear and Loathing episode thank you again Osa very much for watching and remember California dude bye it's turtle country Gonna get myself some dinner. I'm having turtle soup tonight.